A Home and a World by Rabindranath Tagore, translated by Surendranath Tagore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Present recordings by Raju, Burleson, Texas, United States. Ramina45 at Hotmail.com The Home and the World Chapter 2 Vimala's Story 4 This was the time when Sandeep Babu with his followers came to our neighborhood to preach Swadeshi. There is to be a big meeting in our temple pavilion. We women are sitting there on one side behind a screen. Triumphant shouts of Bande Mataram came nearer and to them I am thrilling through and through. Suddenly a stream of barefooted youths in turbans, clad in ascetic ochre, rushes into the quadrangle like a silt-reddened freshet into a dry river bed at the first burst of the rains. The whole place is filled with an immense crowd through which Sandi Babu is borne, seated in a big chair, hoisted on the shoulders of ten or twelve of the youths. Bande Mataram! Bande Mataram! Bande Mataram! It seems as though the skies would be rent and scattered into a thousand fragments. I had seen Sandeep Babu's photograph before. There was something in his features which I did not quite like. Not that he was bad-looking, far from it. He had a splendidly handsome face, yet I know not why it seemed to me. In spite of all its brilliance, that too much of base alloy had gone into its making. The light in his eyes somehow did not shine true. That was why I did not like it and my husband unquestioningly gave in to all his demands. I could bear the waste of money, but it vexed me to think that he was imposing on my husband, taking advantage of friendship. His bearing was not that of an ascetic, nor even of a person of moderate means, but foppish all over. Love of comfort seemed to, any number of such reflections come back to me today, but let them be. When, however, Sandeep Babu began to speak that afternoon, and the hearts of the crowd swayed and surged to his words as though they would break all bounds. I saw him wonderfully transform, especially when his features were suddenly lit up by a shaft of light from the slowly setting sun as it sunk below the roof line of the pavilion. He seemed to me to be marked out by the guards as their messenger to mortal men and women. From beginning to end of his speech, each one of his utterances was a stormy outburst. There was no limit to the confidence of his assurance. I do not know how it happened, but I found I had impatiently pushed away the screen from before me and had fixed my gaze upon him. Yet there was none in that crowd who paid any heed to my doings. Only once I noticed his eyes like stars in fateful Orient flashed full on my face. I was utterly unconscious of myself. I was no longer the lady of the Raja's house, but the sole representative of Bengal's womanhood and he was the champion of Bengal. As the sky had shed its light over him, so he must receive the consecration of a woman's benediction. It seemed clear to me that, since he had caught sight of me, the fire in his words had flamed up more fiercely. Indra's steed refused to be reined in, and there came the roar of thunder and the flash of lightning. I said within myself that his language had caught fire from my eyes, for we women are not only the deities of the household fire, but the flame of the soul itself. I returned home that evening, radiant with a new pride and joy. The storm within me had shifted my whole being from one center to another. Like the Greek maidens of old, 
I fain would cut off my long, resplendent tresses to make a bowstring for my hero. Had my outward ornaments been connected with my inner feelings, then my necklet, my omelets, my bracelets would all have burst their bonds and flung themselves over the assembly like a shower of meteors. Only some personal sacrifice, I felt, could help me to bear the tumult of my exultation. When my husband came home later, I was trembling, lest he should utter a sound out of tune with the triumphant beyond, which was still ringing in my ears, lest his fanaticism for truth should lead him to express disapproval of anything that had been said that afternoon. For then I should have openly defied and humiliated him, but he did not say a word, which I did not like either. He should have said, Sandip had brought me to my senses. I now realize how mistaken I have been all this time. I somehow felt that he was spitefully silent, that he obstinately refused to be enthusiastic. I asked how long Sandeep Babu was going to be with us. He is off to Rangpur early tomorrow morning, said my husband. Must it be tomorrow? Yes, he is already engaged to speak there. I was silent for a while and then asked again. Could he not possibly stay a day longer? That may hardly be possible, but why? I want to invite him to dinner and attend on him myself. My husband was surprised. He had often entreated me to be present when he had particular friends to dinner, but I had never let myself be persuaded. He gazed at me curiously in silence with a look I did not quite understand. I was suddenly overcome with a sense of shame. No, no, I exclaimed. That would never do. Why not, said he. I will ask him myself, and if it is at all possible, he will surely stay on for tomorrow. It turned out to be quite possible. I will tell the exact truth. That day I reproached my creator because he had not made me surpassingly beautiful, not to steal any heart away, but because beauty is glory. In this great day, the men of the country should realize its goddess in its womanhood. But, alas, the eyes of men fail to discern the goddess if outward beauty be lacking. Would Sandeep Babu find the Shakti of the motherland manifest in me, or would he simply take me to be an ordinary domestic woman? That morning, I scented my flowing hair and tied it in a loose knot bound by a cunningly intertwined red silk ribbon. Dinner, you see, was to be served at midday, and there was no time to dry my hair after my bath and do it uprighted in the ordinary way. I put on a gold-bordered white sari, and my short-sleeved muslin jacket was also gold-bordered. I felt that there was a certain restraint about my costume, and that nothing could well have been simpler. But my sister-in-law, who happened to be passing by, stopped dead before me, surveyed me from head to foot, and with compressed lips smiled a meaning smile. When I asked her the reason, I am admiring your get-up, she said. What is there so entertaining about it? I inquired, considerably annoyed. It is superb, she said. I was only thinking that one of those low-necked English bodices would have made it perfect. Not only her mouth and eyes, but her whole body seemed to ripple with suppressed laughter as she left the room. I was very, very angry and wanted to change everything and put on my everyday clothes but I cannot tell exactly why I could not carry out my impulse. Women are the ornaments of society. Thus I reasoned with myself 
and my husband would never like it if I appeared before Sandeep Babu unworthily clad. My idea had been to make my appearance after they had sat down to dinner. In the bustle of looking after the serving, the first awkwardness would have passed off. But dinner was not ready in time, and it was getting late. Meanwhile, my husband had sent for me to introduce the guest. I was feeling horribly shy about looking Sandeep Babu in the face. However, I managed to recover myself enough to say, I am so sorry, dinner is getting late. He boldly came and sat right beside me as he replied, I get a dinner of some kind every day, but the goddess of plenty keeps behind the scenes. Now that the goddess herself has appeared, it matters little if the dinner lags behind. He was just as emphatic in his manners as he was in his public speaking. He had no hesitation and seemed to be accustomed to occupy and challenge his chosen seat. He claimed the right to intimacy so confidently that the blame would seem to belong to those who should dispute it. I was in terror lest Sandeep Babu should take me for a shrinking, old-fashioned bundle of inanity. But for the life of me, I could not sparkle in parties such as might charm or dazzle him. What could have possessed me? I angrily wondered to appear before him in such an absurd way. I was about to retire when dinner was over, but Sandeep Babu, as bold as ever, placed himself in my way. You must not, he said. Think me greedy. It was not the dinner that kept me staying on. It was your invitation. If you are to run away now, that would not be playing fair with your guest. If he had not said these words with a careless ease, they would have been out of tune. But, after all, he was such a great friend of my husband that I was like his sister. While I was struggling to climb up this high wave of intimacy, my husband came to the rescue, saying, Why not come back to us after you have taken your dinner? But you must give your word, said Sandeep Babu, before we let you off. I will come, said I, with a slight smile. Let me tell you, continued Sandeep Babu, why I cannot trust you. Nikhil has been married these nine years, and all this while you have eluded me. If you do this again for another nine years, we shall never meet again. I took up the spirit of his remark as I dropped my voice to reply. Why even then should we not meet? My horoscope tells me I am to die early. None of my forefathers have survived their thirtieth year. I am now twenty-seven. He knew this would go home. This time there must have been a shade of concern in my low voice as I said. The blessings of the whole country are sure to avert the evil influence of the stars. Then the blessings of the country must be voiced by its goddess. This is the reason for my anxiety that you should return, so that my talisman may begin to work from today. Sandeep Babu had such a way of taking things by storm, that I got no opportunity of resenting what I never should have permitted in another. So, he concluded with a laugh, I am going to hold this husband of yours as a hostage till you come back. As I was coming away, he exclaimed, May I trouble you for a trifle? I started and turned round. Don't be alarmed, he said. It's merely a glass of water. You might have noticed that I did not drink any water with my dinner. I take it a little later. Upon this, I had to make a show of interest and ask him the reason. He began to give the history of his dyspepsia. I was told how he had been a martyr to it for seven months and how, after the usual course of nuisances, 
which included different allopathic and homeopathic misadventures, he had obtained the most wonderful results by indigenous methods. Do you know, he added with a smile, God has built even my infirmities in such a manner that they yield only under the bombardment of Swadeshi pills. My husband at this broke his silence. You must confess, said he, that you have as immense an attraction for foreign medicine as the earth has for meteors. You have three shelves in your sitting room full of... Sandeep Babu broke in. Do you know what they are? They are the punitive police. They come, not because they are wanted, but because they are imposed on us by the rule of this modern age, exacting fines and inflicting injuries. My husband could not bear exaggerations, and I could see he disliked this, but all ornaments are exaggerations. They are not made by God, but by man. Once I remember, in defense of some untruth of mine, I said to my husband, Only the trees and beasts and birds tell unmitigated truths, because these poor things have not the power to invent. In this, men show their superiority to the lower creatures, and women beat even men. Neither is a profusion of ornament unbecoming of a woman, nor a profusion of untruths. As I came out into the passage leading to the Zanana, I found my sister-in-law standing near a window overlooking the reception rooms, peeping through the Venetian shutter. You here? I asked in surprise. Eavesdropping, she said. Five. When I returned, Sandeep Babu was tenderly apologetic. I am afraid we have spoiled your appetite, he said. I felt greatly ashamed. Indeed, I had been too indecently quick over my dinner. With a little calculation, it would become quite evident that my non-eating had surpassed the eating. But I had no idea that anyone could have been deliberately calculating. I suppose Sandeep Babu detected my feeling of shame, which only augmented it. I was sure, he said, that you had the impulse of the wild deer to run away. But it is a great boon that you took the trouble to keep your promise with me. I could not think of any suitable reply, and so I sat down, blushing and uncomfortable, at one end of the sofa. The vision that I had of myself as the Shakti of womanhood incarnate, crowning Sandeep Babu simply with my presence, majestic and unashamed, failed me altogether. Sandeep Babu deliberately started a discussion with my husband. He knew that his scheme would flash to the best effect in an argument. I have often since observed, that he never lost an opportunity for a passage at arms whenever I happened to be present. He was familiar with my husband's views on the cult of Bande Matra and began in a provoking way. So you do not allow that there is room for an appeal to the imagination in patriotic work? It has its place, Sandeep, I admit, but I do not believe in giving it the whole place. I would know my country in its frank reality and for this I am both afraid and ashamed to make use of hypnotic texts of patriotism. What you call hypnotic texts, I call truth. I truly believe my country to be my God. I worship humanity. God manifests himself, both in man and in his country. If that is what you really believe, there should be no difference for you between man and man, and so between country and country. Quite true, but my powers are limited, so my worship of humanity is continued in the worship of my country. I have nothing against your worship as such, but how is it you propose to conduct your worship of God by hating other countries in which he is equally manifest? 
Hate is an adjunct of worship. Arjuna won Mahadeva's favor by wrestling with him. God will be with us in the end if we are prepared to give him battle. If that be so, then those who are serving and those who are harming the country are both his devotees. Why then trouble to preach patriotism? In the case of one's own country, it's different. There the heart clearly demands worship. If you push the same argument further, you can say that since God is manifested in us, our self has to be worshipped before all else, because our natural instinct claims it. Look here, Nikhil, this is all merely dry logic. Can't you recognize that there is such a thing as feeling? I tell you the truth, Sandeep, my husband replied. It's my feelings that are outraged, wherever you try to pass off injustice as a duty and unrighteousness as a moral ideal. The fact that I am incapable of stealing is not due to my possessing logical faculties, but to my having some feeling of respect for myself and love for ideals. I was raging inwardly. At last I could keep silent no longer. Is not the history of every country, I cried, whether England, France, Germany, or Russia, the history of stealing for the sake of one's own country? They have to answer for these thefts. They are doing so even now. Their history is not ended. At any rate, interposed Sandeep Babu, why should we not follow suit? Let us first fill our country's coffers with stolen goods, and then take centuries like these other countries to answer for them, if we must. But I ask you, where do you find this answering in history? When Rome was answering for her sin, no one knew it. All that time, there was apparently no limit to her prosperity. But do you not see one thing? How these political bags of theirs are busting with lies and treacheries, breaking their backs under their weight? Never before had I had any opportunity of being present at a discussion between my husband and his men friends. Whenever he argued with me, I could feel his reluctance to push me into a corner. This arose out of the very love he bore me. Today, for the first time, I saw his fencer's skill in debate. Nevertheless, my heart refused to accept my husband's position. I was struggling to find some answer, but it would not come. When the word righteousness comes into an argument, it sounds ugly to say that a thing can be too good to be useful. All of a sudden, Sandeep Babu turned to me with the question, What do you say to this? I do not care about fine distinctions. I broke up. I will tell you broadly what I feel. I am only human. I am covetous. I would have good things for my country. If I am obliged, I would snatch them and filch them. I have anger. I would be angry for my country's sake. If necessary, I would smite and slay to avenge her insults. I have my desire to be fascinated. And fascination must be supplied to me in bodily shape by my country. She must have some visible symbol casting its spell upon my mind. I would make my country a person and call her mother, goddess, Durga, for whom I would redden the earth with sacrificial offerings. I am human, not divine. Sandeep Babu leapt to his feet with uplifted arms and shouted, Hurrah! The next moment he corrected himself and cried, Bande Mataram. A shadow of pain passed over the face of my husband. He said to me in a very gentle voice, Neither I am divine, I am human, and therefore I dare not permit the evil which is in me to be exaggerated into an image of my country. Never, never. Sandeep Babu cried out, See, Nikhil, 
how in the heart of a woman truth takes flesh and blood woman knows how to be cruel her virulence is like a blind storm it is beautifully fearful in man it is ugly because it harbors in its center the gnawing worms of prison and thought i tell you nikhil it is our women who will save the country this is not the time for nice scruples we must unswervingly unreasoningly brutal we must sin we must give our women red sandal paste with which to anoint and enthrone our sin don't you remember what the poet says come sin o beautiful sin let thy stinging red kisses pour down fiery red wine into our blood sound the trumpet of imperious evil and cross our forehead with the wreath of exulting lawlessness o deity of desecration near our breasts with the blackest mud of disrepute unashamed down with the righteousness which cannot smilingly bring rack and ruin when sandeep babu standing with his head high insulted at a moment's impulse all that men have cherished as their highest in all countries and in all times a shiver went right through my body but with a stamp of his foot he continued his declamation i can see that you are the beautiful spirit of fire which burns the home to ashes and lights up the larger world with its flame give to us the indomitable courage to go to the bottom of ruin itself impart grace to all that is painful it was not clear to whom sandeep babu addressed his last appeal it might have been she whom he worshiped with his bande matram it might have been the woman hood of his country or it might have been its representative the woman before him he would have gone further in the same strain but my husband suddenly rose from his seat and touched him lightly on the shoulder saying sandeep chandranath babu is here i started and turned round to find an aged gentleman at the door calm and dignified in doubt as to whether he should come in or retire his face was touched with a gentle light like that of the setting sun my husband came up to me and whispered this is my master of whom i have so often told you make your obeisance to him i bent reverently and took the dust off his feet he gave me his blessing saying may god protect you always my little mother i was sorely in need of such a blessing at that moment nikhil's story 1 one day i had the faith to believe that i should be able to bear whatever came from my god i never had the trial now i think it has come i used to test my strength of mind by imagining all kinds of evil which might happen to me poverty imprisonment dishonor death even bimlas and when i said to myself that i should be able to receive these with firmness i am sure i did not exaggerate only i could never even imagine one thing and today it is that of which i am thinking and wondering whether i can really bear it there is a thorn somewhere pricking in my heart constantly giving me pain while i am about my daily work it seems to persist even when i am asleep the very moment i wake up in the morning i find that the bloom has gone from the face of the sky what is it what has happened my mind has become so sensitive that even my past life which came to me in the disguise of happiness seems to ring my very heart with its falsehood and the shame and sorrow which are coming close to me are losing their cover of privacy all the more because they try to veil their faces my heart has become all eyes the things that should not be seen the things i do not want to see 
these I must see. The day has come at last when my ill-starred life has to reveal its destitution in a long-drawn series of exposures. This penury, all unexpected, has taken its seat in the heart where plenitude seemed to ring. The fees which I paid to delusion for just nine years of my youth have now to be returned with interest to truth till the end of my days. What is the use of straining to keep up my pride? What harm if I confess that I have something lacking in me? Possibly it is that unreasoning forcefulness which women love to find in men. But is strength mere display of muscularity? Must strength have no scruples in treading the weak underfoot? But why all these arguments? Worthiness cannot be earned merely by disputing about it. And I am unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. What if I am unworthy? The true value of love is this, that it can never bless the unworthy with its own prodigality. For the worthy there are many rewards on God's earth, but God has specially reserved love for the unworthy. Up till now, Vimla was my homemade Vimla, the product of the confined space and the daily routine of small duties. Did the love which I received from her, I asked myself, come from the deep spring of her heart, or was it merely like the daily provision of pipe water pumped up by the municipal steam engine of society? I longed to find Vimla blossoming fully in all her truth and power. But the thing I forgot to calculate was that one must give up all claims based on conventional rights if one would find a person freely revealed in truth. Why did I fail to think of this? Was it because of the husband's pride of possession over his wife? No, it was because I placed the fullest trust upon love. I was vain enough to think that I had the power in me to bear the sight of truth in its awful nakedness. It was tempting providence, but still I clung to my proud determination to come out victorious in the trial. Vimala had failed to understand me in one thing. She could not fully realize that I had as weakness all imposition of force. Only the weak dare not be just. They shut their responsibility of fairness and try quickly to get at results through the shortcuts of injustice. Vimala has no patience with patience. She loves to find in men the turbulent, the angry, the unjust. Her respect must have its element of fear. I had hoped that when Vimla found herself free in the outer world, she would be rescued from her infatuation for tyranny. But now I feel sure that this infatuation is deep down in her nature. Her love is for the boisterous. From the tip of her tongue to the pit of her stomach, she must tingle with red pepper in order to enjoy the simple fare of life. But my determination was never to do my duty with frantic impetuosity, helped on by the fiery liquor of excitement. I know Bimla finds it difficult to respect me for this, taking my scruples for feebleness, and she is quite angry with me because I am not running Amma crying Bande Matram. For the matter of that, I have become unpopular with all my countrymen because I have not joined them in their carousals. They are certain that either I have a longing for some title or else that I am afraid of the police. The police on their side suspect me of harboring some hidden design and protesting too much in my mildness. What I really feel is this, that those who cannot find food for their enthusiasm in the knowledge of their country as it actually is, or those who cannot love men just because they are men, 
who needs must shout and to deify their country in order to keep up their excitement these love excitement more than their country to try to give our infatuation a higher place than truth is a sign of inherent slavishness where our minds are free we find ourselves lost our moribund vitality must have for its rider either some fantasy or someone in authority or a sanction from the pundits in order to make it move so long as we are impervious to truth and have to be moved by some hypnotic stimulus we must know that we lack the capacity for self-government whatever may be our condition we shall either need some imaginary ghost or some actual medicine man to terrorize over us the other day when sandeep accused me of lack of imagination saying that this prevented me from realizing my country in a visible image vimala agreed with him i did not say anything in my defense because to win an argument does not lead to happiness her difference of opinion is not due to any inequality of intelligence but rather to dissimilarity of nature they accused me of being unimaginative that is according to them i may have oil in my lap but no flame now this is exactly the accusation which i bring against them i would say to them you are dark even as the flints are you must come to violent conflicts and make a noise in order to produce your sparks but their disconnected flashes merely assist your pride and not your clear vision i have been noticing for some time that there is a gross cupidity about sandeep his fleshly feelings make him harbor delusions about his religion and impel him into a tyrannical attitude in his patriotism his intellect is keen but his nature is coarse and so he glorifies his selfish lusts and high sounding names the cheap consolations of hatred are as urgently necessary for him as the satisfaction of his appetites mimala has often warned me in the old days of his hankering after money i understood this but i could not bring myself to haggle with sandeep i felt ashamed even to own to myself that he was trying to take advantage of me it will however be difficult to explain to bimala today that sandeep's love of country is but a different phase of his covetous self-love bimala's hero worship of sandeep makes me hesitate all the more to talk to her about him lest some touch of jealousy may lead me unwittingly into exaggeration it may be that the pain at my heart is already making me see a distorted picture of sandeep and yet it is better perhaps to speak out than to keep my feelings annoying within me too i have known my master these 30 years neither calumny nor disaster nor death itself as any terrors for him nothing could have saved me born as i was into the traditions of this family of ours but that he has established his own life in the center of mine with its peace and truth and spiritual vision thus making it possible for me to realize goodness in its truth my master came to me that day and said is it necessary to detain sandeep here any longer his nature was so sensitive to all omens of evil that he had at once understood he was not easily moved but that day he felt the dark shadow of trouble ahead do i not know how well he loves me at tea time i said to sandeep i have just had a letter from rangpur they are complaining that i am selfishly detaining you when will you be going there bimala was pouring out the tea her face fell at once she threw just one enquiring glance at sandeep i have been thinking said sandeep that this wandering up and down means a tremendous waste of energy 
I feel that if I could work from a center, I could achieve more permanent results. With this, he looked up at Bimla and asked, Do you not think so too? Bimla hesitated for a reply and then said, Both ways seem good. To do the work from a center as well as by traveling about, that in which you find greater satisfaction is the way for you. Then let me speak out my mind, said Sandeep. I have never yet found any one source of inspiration sufficed me for good. That's why I have been constantly moving about, rousing enthusiasm in the people, from which in turn I draw my own store of energy. Today you have given me the message of my country. Such fire I have never beheld in any man. I shall be able to spread the fire of enthusiasm in my country by borrowing it from you. No, do not be ashamed. You are far above all modesty and diffidence. You are the queen bee of our hive, and we the workers shall rally around you. You shall be our center, our inspiration. Vimala flushed all over with bashful pride, and her hand shook as she went on pouring out the tea. Another day my master came to me and said, Why don't you two go up to Darjeeling for a change? You are not looking well. Have you been getting enough sleep? I asked Vimala in the evening whether she would care to have a trip to the hills. I knew she had a great longing to see the Himalayas, but she refused. The country's cause, I suppose. I must not lose my faith. I shall wait. The passage from the narrow to the larger world is stormy. When she is familiar with this freedom, then I shall know where my place is. If I discover that I do not fit in with the arrangement of the outer world, then I shall not quarrel with my fate, but silently take my leave. Use force? But for what? Can force prevail against truth? Sandeep's Story 1. The impotent man says, That which has come to my share is mine, and the weak man assents. But the lesson of the whole world is, That is really mine which I can snatch away. My country does not become mine simply because it is the country of my birth. It becomes mine on the day when I am able to win it by force. Every man has a natural right to possess and therefore greed is natural. It is not in the wisdom of nature that we should be content to be deprived. What my mind covets, my surroundings must supply. This is the only true understanding between our inner and outer nature in this world. Let moral ideals remain merely for those poor anemic creatures of starved desire whose grasp is sweet. Those who can desire with all their soul and enjoy with all their heart, those who have no hesitation or scruple, it is they who are the anointed of providence. Nature spreads out her riches and loveliest treasures for their benefit. They swim across streams, leap over walls, kick open doors to help themselves to whatever is worth taking. In such a getting, one can rejoice. Such resting as this gives value to the thing taken. Nature surrenders herself but only to the robber, for she delights in this forceful desire, this forceful abduction. And so, she does not put the garland of her acceptance round the lean, scraggy neck of the ascetic. The music of the wedding march is struck. The time of the wedding I must not let pass. My heart, therefore, is eager. For who is the bridegroom? It is I. The bridegroom's place belongs to him who, torch in hand, can come in time. The bridegroom in nature's wedding hall comes unexpected and uninvited. Ashamed? No, I am never ashamed. I ask for whatever I want, and I do not always wait to ask before I take it. 
those who are deprived by their own diffidence dignify their privation by their name of modesty. The world into which we are born is the world of reality. When a man goes away from the market of real things with empty hands and empty stomach, merely filling his bag with big-sounding words, I wonder why he ever came into this world at all. Did these men get their appointment from the epicures of the religious world to play set tunes on sweet pious texts in that pleasure garden where blossom airy nothings? I neither affect those tunes nor do I find any sustenance in those blossoms. What I desire, I desire positively, superlatively. I want to knead it with both my hands and both my feet. I want to smear it all over my body. I want to gorge myself with it to the full. These crannel pipes of those who have worn themselves out by their moral fastings, till they have become flat and pale like starved vermin infesting a long deserted bed, will never reach my ear. I could conceal nothing, because that would be cowardly. But if I cannot bring myself to conceal when concealment is needful, that also is cowardly. Because you have your greed, you build your walls. Because I have my greed, I break through them. You use your power. I use my craft. These are the realities of life. On these depend kingdoms and empires and all the great enterprises of men. As for those avatars who come down from their paradise to talk to us in some holy jargon, their words are not real. Therefore, in spite of all the applause they get, these sayings of theirs only find a place in the hiding corners of the weak. They are despised by those who are strong, the rulers of the world. Those who have had the courage to see this have one success, while those poor wretches who are dragged one way by nature and the other way by these avatars, they set one foot in the boat of the real and the other in the boat of the unreal, and thus are in a pitiable plight, able neither to advance nor to keep their pace. There are many men who seem to have been born only with an obsession to die. Possibly there is a beauty, like that of a sunset, in this lingering death in life, which seems to fascinate them. Nikhil lives this kind of life, if life it may be called. Years ago, I had a great argument with him on this point. It is true, he said, that you cannot get anything except by force. But then what is this force? And then also, what is this getting? The strength I believe in is the strength of renouncing. So you, I exclaimed, are infatuated with the glory of bankruptcy. Just as desperately as the chick is infatuated about the bankruptcy of its shell, he replied. The shell is real enough, yet it is given up in exchange for intangible light and air. A sorry exchange, I suppose you would call it. When once Nickel gets on to metaphor, there is no hope of making him see that he is merely dealing with words, not with realities. Well, well, let him be happy with his metaphors. We are the flesh-eaters of the world. We have teeth and nails. We pursue and grab and tear. We are not satisfied with chewing in the evening the cud of the grass we have eaten in the morning. Anyhow, we cannot allow your metaphor-mongers to bar the door to our sustenance. In that case, we shall simply steal or rob, for we must live. People will say that I am starting some novel theory, just because those who are moving in this world are in the habit of talking differently, though they are 
really acting up to it all the time. Therefore, they fail to understand, as I do, that this is the only working moral principle. In point of fact, I know that my idea is not an empty theory at all, for it has been proved in practical life. I have found that my way always wins over the hearts of women, who are creatures of this world of reality, and do not roam about in cloudland as men do, and idea-filled balloons. Women find in my features, my manner, my gait, my speech, a masterful passion. Not a passion dried thin with the heat of asceticism, not a passion with its face turned back at every step in doubt and debate, but a full-blooded passion. It roars and rolls on, like a flood with the cry, I want, I want, I want. Women feel in their own heart of hearts that this indomitable passion is the lifeblood of the world, acknowledging no law but itself, and therefore victorious. For this reason, they have so often abandoned themselves to be swept away on the flood tide of my passion, recking not as to whether it takes them to life or to death. This power which wins these women is the power of mighty men, the power which wins the world of reality. Those who imagine the greater desirability of another world merely shift their desires from earth to the skies. It remains to be seen how high their gushing fountain will play, and for how long. But this much is certain. Women were not created for these pale creatures, these lotus-eaters of idealism. Affinity when it suited my need. I have often said that God has created special paths of men and women, and that the union of such is the only legitimate union, higher than all unions made by law. The reason of it is that though man wants to follow nature, he can find no pleasure in it unless he screens himself with some phrase, and that is why this world is so overflowing with lies. Affinity why should there be only one? There may be affinity with thousands. It was never in my agreement with nature that I should overlook all my innumerable affinities for the sake of only one. I have discovered many in my own life up to now. Yet, that has not closed the door to one more, and that one is clearly visible to my eyes. She has also discovered her own affinity to me. And then, then if I do not win, I am a coward. End of chapter 2 of The Home and the World by Rabindranath Tagore Recording by Raju from Burleson, Texas, United States Ramina45 at hotmail.com